Welcome to the Get Healthier Podcast with Rena Jadhav, who's on a quest to uncover breakthroughs and cures in living longer, healthier, and happier. Genetic testing, stem cells, rattling, talking to Silicon Valley geniuses and the best doctors in the world about the hottest products and programs to make you live an amazingly joyful life. Are you ready? Now, here's your host, Rena. Hi, everyone. Welcome to a super exciting episode. This is Rena, and we have with us a very famous celebrity, someone who's been on Dr. Oz's show so many times. In fact, that's how I first came across her and just absolutely loved her vibe, her energy, and of course, her insights. It's Dr. Curl Rachelthree. She has combined expertise in both modern neurology and the ancient science of health known as Ayurveda. But what's amazing is that she's actually a trained neuroscientist and a neurologist. She's participated in over 20 clinical research studies in the areas of multiple sclerosis, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, all the stuff that makes us shiver and worry and maybe <laughs> stuff that we've had to deal with, with, you know, through our parents. She's done groundbreaking work in stem cell therapies for diabetic peripheral neuropathy and drug development. She is a regular guest on Dr. Oz's show. I think Dr. Oz loves her. Uh, where her teachings about Ayurvedic medicine have really reached a national audience, which I'm thrilled to hear. What I'm excited to talk to her today is that she has written a book, The Prime, Prepare and Repair Your Body for Spontaneous Weight. Now, as you know, on our show, we're all about living longer, healthier, and happier. And I know a lot of my female audience would love to have spontaneous weight loss. That'll make them really happy. So, Dr. Chaudhary, welcome. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for that gracious introduction. Spontaneous weight loss, really? Have you found the magic pill? The thing is, it's, it's not a magic pill. And it's actually not magic because it turns out that if you are healthier, your weight normalizes spontaneously. (laughs) Is that right? So are you saying everyone who is obese is actually unhealthy? Well, okay, so this is a very, very good question because when we look at Ayurvedic medicine, it's very important to understand what your body type is. There's three doshas or three kind of mind-body types. And for those who have a kapha build, they're naturally bigger, heavier build. So when we say if, you know, somebody is overweight, we really have to look at, well, what is their actual body type and then decide in relationship to that. But for the majority of the people who live in the U.S. and other places um, where we're essentially living the modern life, the majority of people are overweight because of accumulation of inflammation and toxicity, which makes them unhealthy. And so even if they haven't been diagnosed yet with something, their body is not functioning at its absolute prime. Very interesting to hear. What, what made, what inspired you to write this book? Well, I think life has a way, and you know, your story is a great example of that. Life has a way of picking you up and saying, um, you're going to do this now because people actually need it. So I had, no intention of writing a book. I was just kind of going along doing what I did, which was, you know, practice neurology and incorporate diuretic medicine. And I was mainly focusing on helping people reverse neurological disease. Um, and then it was after one of the shows um, from Dr. Oz, I just spontaneously had a book agent come to me and he, you know, persisted and said, listen, I think you have a book in you. And I'm a really big believer in when things happen without effort. I live much of my life without trying to do anything and just following kind of the leads. Um, and my first impression was really like, no, I'm, I'm busy. I don't think I have time to write a book. But then when we spoke on the phone, the things that I was saying, which for me were so commonplace, like, you know, the understanding between the connection between the gut and the brain and that neurological conditions were reversible and, you know, that, by the way, when you do this, you lose weight. I'm like, but I'm sure someone's already written about this. I'm sure people know about this. And he was just totally dumbfounded and said, no, (laughs) not something that people are just walking around talking about. And so he kind of tugged at, um, you know, my my physician court of, of, you know, hey, there are people that would actually very much benefit from understanding this knowledge. 
And really everything that happened with the book, um, it just, it all came together extremely, extremely spontaneously. And I, I really feel like the book wrote itself, but ended up choosing me as kind of the voice for it. Um, and it was just something that was timely and something that people needed to hear. That's so beautifully said. The book chose you. I hear that from other authors when I interview them, that it's odd. I don't know where this book came from, but I started <laughs> writing and it just sort of wrote itself. And, um, you know, we hear that's a little bit about how the Harry Potter series came about. So that's, that's beautiful. You're very connected to the source. And clearly you have a bigger purpose here, here on this universe. Thank you. Thank you for, for putting this book out because I think this insight is brilliant. And I, and I unfortunately don't think enough people know about it. Your agent is right. So we, I believe, feel that if I'm obese and we have an obesity epidemic in, in uh, America, that we are obese because we're doing everything wrong and that obesity is making us unhealthy. And you're making the claim that it's in, perhaps it's in fact in reverse, that we are doing things to our body that are unhealthy. And uh, we're going to talk about toxins in just a moment. And that's what's actually making us obese because I know friends who eat way healthier than I do. I'm admitting this on, on a show now. <laughs> they eat salads and I eat cakes and, you know, I'm constantly munching on a thousand calories of nuts every day, which I know I shouldn't. And yet they are bigger than me. And it is a puzzle. And your book attempts to answer that question. So. So answer for every woman out there that's looked at a skinny woman eating cake and hated her and said, how can you do that? Because I gain weight just looking at that cake. Where, so, where is the problem? So the big thing, and I, I love how you preface that question because it's so true. People uh, do want to kill the skinny woman eating the cake. And you can be the skinny woman eating the cake at one point in your life, and then suddenly you're the person who hates the skinny woman eating the cake at a later point. So, sure. you know, all of this is really a continuum. It's really just a story, and it's figuring out where you are at in that story. But the story is really written in biochemistry. And a lot of people think that they have gained weight because of poor willpower. And I, you know, when I was uh, practicing um, in uh, La Jolla at Scripps Memorial Hospital, I had the opportunity of just seeing some of the most amazing patients. They were people who, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, launched multiple companies, had completed professional degrees, you know, were the heart of a family of, you know, four or five and could coordinate all of their extracurricular activities and school activities. And yet they could not make the changes they needed to be able to actually lose the weight or just like you described, even though they were eating very healthy, they were still gaining weight. And I didn't come at this topic for weight loss. I actually approached this topic because I was trying to help patients who had a disorder of the nervous system, a brain disease to reverse that, you know, process that was happening within their nervous system. And they were struggling with the same thing that when I figured out, you know, what the program was that they had to follow to reverse their neurological conditions, they couldn't change what they were eating. So for me, I started to study this not so much as somebody that was, you know, annoyed with their patients, but more as a neuroscientist of saying, boy, why can't they change what they're eating? Mm -hmm. And the answer was all biochemistry. And much of that biochemistry came from the gut. And it intimately, intimately, intimately involved the microbiome or the, the set of bacteria that live in your GI tract. And what shocked me was the dramatic influence that the microbiome had on your brain, on your decisions, on your behavior, even on your personality, and especially on what you in what you put in your mouth and what it turned into once it reached your GI tract. And it's it's funny because as much as it's a scientific revolution for us in medicine, and unfortunately, even though this revolution is occurring, most physicians know absolutely nothing about it. <laughs> and you know, yes. today, if you talk to 
most neurologists or almost anybody in any field and you say, how important is gut flora to disease or health? They'll say it has absolutely nothing to do with it. But despite it being this, you know, slowly growing revolution within the medical field, it has been a part of the ancient health traditions for thousands of years. So true. So true. What did you observe? I mean, I love how you say weight gain is not about food. It's about the body's environment. What is it that we're doing to our body that we're creating an environment that's creating the weight gain? So in Ayurvedic medicine, there's this great term called AMA. It's spelled A-M-A. And it's very hard to translate into English because it refers to so many different things. When we talk about it on the physical level, you could roughly translate it into toxic inflammation, but it's referring also to what's happening on the emotional level, also what's happening on the mental level. And it has to do with the amount of toxicity that we are producing in our body as a whole. And once we get into that toxic inflammatory state, because of the accumulation, excuse me, because of the accumulation of AMA, then it becomes very, very difficult to maintain a normal, healthy weight. Mm. And it's understanding the connection, though, between, you know, the mind, your emotions and the body and how that ultimately translates into a shift in the microbiome, into a shift in the type of bacteria that live in your gut, that that will ultimately influence your weight and your ability to maintain a healthy weight. So where are these toxins or where is this AMA coming from? So a lot of it, unfortunately, is simply coming from the crap we eat. I mean, Mm. we as a society eat really poorly. And even for those attempting to eat clean, They're eating predominantly food that is completely depleted of nutrients. So somehow, you know, over the last 50 to 60 years, we have taken things that had we introduced into our food, into our daily, you know, food intake uh, overnight, we would have all objected and said, this isn't even a food. You know, you go from, for example, having things like homemade cheeses to cheese whiz, right? Right. If we would have made that transition overnight, everybody would have objected. So true. But what happened is we slowly over time started to substitute foods that were grown from the earth and cooking at home to things that sort of look like, like we have somehow decided that a Krispy Kreme donut is an actual thing that we would put in our body. <laughs> and yes. as we made those Or ketchup is, ketchup is a vegetable for schools. I don't know if you know yeah, that. School exactly. lunches classify exactly. ketchup as actually a vegetable, but please continue. And so as we made these changes to once what was actual food that had an inner intelligence that our body could interact with, we slowly began to change the type of bacteria that lived inside of us. And in addition to this dramatic change in the types of foods that we're, you know, eating, and this doesn't even begin to cover, you know, for those who eat meat, the the absolute horrific conditions under which animals are kept. So you're basically mm. eating very, very sick animals and the, you know, and milk sad that, animals. Yeah. Yeah. Very sick and sad animals. And so they have the biochemistry of that, which you then also are taking in. In addition to that, we've started to create all of these chemicals that are now just in our environment in general. We've created over a hundred thousand new chemical constituents of which less than 1% have actually been tested to be safe for human beings and particularly unsafe for women. Many of them mimic estrogen and stimulate estrogen in, in um, our bodies so that they actually promote disease. So we're eating worse. We filled our environment, I mean, down to the tables that we're sitting on, the chairs we're sitting on, the clothes we're putting on. They're all filled with different chemicals. Um, which again, we have just kind of slowly accepted that this is the way to live. And then you add on top of that, the type of life that we're living. 
Mm-hmm. Nobody aims for stillness. That's not even a property that we encourage. Everything is about achievement, accomplishment at a younger age, you know, get more things uh, as soon as possible. And what's happened is it's driven our bodies, particularly our nervous systems into the ground. And we're just, we're aging a lot faster, which perhaps if we were living in that fast of a pace, but eating better and living in a more pure environment, it would be compensated. But we're doing all of these three things at one time. And so what, what chance really does the body have? And the body's this miraculous, miraculous creation where if you even throw it just a little bit, you know, of a bone, it will, it will do just about everything for you. But we have started to live in a way that has created the perfect recipe for creating ama or toxic inflammation in our bodies, in our minds, and in our emotions. That is so true. And it's near to impossible to live in the world the way we live today, to live in our homes, our communities, watch the TV we watch, and transform our lives to being healthier. I mean, when I had to do this, so ama was my problem. That's That was the gist of what I suffered from. What's interesting is changing my lifestyle was not that easy because we've, to your point, I don't know how we got here, but (laughs) boy, we are in this little cage and getting out of that cage initially is like breaking a cage. It takes a lot of strength, mental strength, emotional strength, physical strength to say, no, I'm not putting that crap in my body anymore. No, there's I'm, an easier way. There's actually an easier tell way. Us, and tell what us. You described is exactly what I put in the book is that you are in now a biochemical prison. And, you know, I really applaud the way that you approached it, which was essentially dropping everything and kind of forcing your way out. But that's not the easiest route. And especially you know, I'm thinking of so many of my patients, especially many of my female patients where they're, you know, mothers to, you know, three to five children mm-hmm. and they're working and they're trying to run the house and it would be nearly impossible to do that overnight. And it's not actually necessary. The whole point is to begin to shift your biochemistry step by step and to change your microbiome step by step. And what happens is as you start to make those shifts, and this is the whole point of the spontaneous part of the book, is that you begin to automatically make changes. And what's always surprised me is, Rena, they're not just changes in the way you eat, they're the changes in the way that you live, because you're slowly starting to remove the ama from your system, and that changes even the decisions that you make around your life in terms of the type of work you do, the type of relationships you have. And it doesn't have to happen overnight. And that's exactly why I, I, you know, wrote the book is it's the program that I implemented for my patients to begin to open up the gates, to remove and scrape out this AMA so that they didn't have to drop their life. They could still be in their life, but it just slowly began to change. I still remember a patient of mine who you know, was just kind of living in the traditional life, complete workaholic and, you know, was running around trying to take care of kids and would just grab whatever she wanted and stuffed it in her mouth. And as we worked together over the course of a year, she said, you know, I'm not the same person. I'm not even living anywhere close to the same life that I did a year ago, but I don't know exactly when it changed. Like we just kept doing these little steps and somehow I'm no longer that person I was back then. So give us some of these little steps. I think everyone's going to be very interested in those steps because nobody <laughs> wants to make a major change. Nobody wants to do what I did 15 months locked in my home. So tell us what are those little changes we can make for spontaneous weight loss? So there's a four-step process that is outlined through the book. And to decide how fast you go you take a gut IQ test to tell you how Mm -hmm. smart or dumb is your gut. The smarter your gut, the faster you can go. The dumber your gut, the slower you go. And when I first started this, and I basically went into Ayurvedic medicine because I developed migraine headaches, just like so many physicians, we go into it because we become patients who can't be treated by the medical field. Mm -hmm. 
And so when I first did this, I had a dumb gut. And so it's totally okay if you have a dumb gut. There's no shame in it. Most of us have dumb guts. But what's a dumb they, gut? I'm sorry. What's a dumb gut? A dumb gut is a gut that has lost its integrity in terms of its mucous membrane. So what we would refer to as a leaky gut. It's okay. now you can penetrate it, right? And so the foods that you're eating are going into the bloodstream. It has lost the brain in its gut. So it actually has brain damage, and that's referring to the enteric nervous system. That's the brain that is located in your gut. Mm -hmm. It's lost the ability to communicate effectively in a way that keeps you healthy to the brain in your head. And the microbiome or the bacteria and other organisms that live in, your, live in your gut have gone from being the beneficial microbiome to being par predominantly parasitic microbiome. So it's that whole kind of... You're literally describing me two years ago. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> A very parasitic, leaky, dumb gut not communicating yes. with the brain and saying, what is going on with you? <laughs> and many of us have that. And it's funny because, I, you know, you could almost create a curve, Rena, that the more, the more successful you're becoming in the life that we've been presented, like, hey, these are the things you should achieve, the dumber your gut becomes. <laughs> I think you are so right. <laughs> and it's like the less outwardly successful that you are. And I certainly found this in my own life. You know, I was such a quote unquote successful medical doctor and it was the worst health I ever had. And kind of the less hard I worked, and the more in tune I became with myself and my life purpose and what I was really here for. So, you know, in the view of the medical world, you know, a total failure, um, the healthier I became. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> what a tragedy or a travesty that the, that the two are inversely proportional. Only you in our culture, there are cultures where they actually cultivate community yes. over individuality. Yes. They cultivate, you know, eating organic, um, freshly prepared foods over convenience. And they yes. cultivate their success through promoting a smart gut. So it's 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 really interesting to travel to different places because um you realize that there's not just one way to live. And these are oftentimes the places where you have people living into their nineties and a hundred, but That's successfully right. living there. Japan is one, and I don't know if you saw recently the video about what Japanese children do at lunchtime. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but for me personally, following one of the core Ayurvedic principles of sitting, breathing, yeah. gratitude before eating, and then eating in a calm way with no television on, no cell phones on, ideally in the sun, and I did that for a year, and chewing the food and really tasting the food made a huge difference. And the video about these Japanese children is that lunch is not a break. Actually, all the kids get together and some cook and some serve and everybody sits and eats together and they eat warm, freshly cooked food every single day. And that's exactly what I mean is it's just how we structure our priorities. And, you know, my son goes to school every single day with a warm, freshly made lunch. That morning I make him every single day uh, it's usually Indian food, which is the bane of his existence. I can't believe you're this. pulling that off. My kids oh, rebelled. Oh, yeah. Because I know. What, what else am I going to – what yes. else is he going to inherit from me So true. that is going to be more sustainable to him than a healthy microbiome and a connection to who he really is and an appreciation for his body and his mind? Like, what else am I going to give him? No, you know? that's beautiful. That's There's nothing beautiful. else. So anyways, going back though to your original question. So once you figure out your gut IQ, then you can embark on this journey. And it's just four phases. And, you know, this whole concept of detoxing has become very popular. And it's actually critical now. I don't think it was critical in the past. But because of our exposure to all the toxins, it's actually become critical. But most detoxification programs they do this quick, you know, seven day detox, 14 day detox, right? And you're barely scraping the surface. And so what you do in each one of these stages, each stage preps you for the next step. And it just opens up the channels or the shrotas, as we call them in Ayurveda, and allows the amor, the toxins to flow through. 
So in the first stage, it's just some very simple things. And you probably were exposed to this, Rena, because you had um, had been seen by Ayurvedic practitioners. But, mm-hmm. you know, we just start an, an herb called triphala. Mm-hmm. And, you know, triphala is just three berries. I don't even refer to it sometimes as an herb because it's literally it's just three berries. And one of them, amla, I grew up eating those as pickles on you know, our right. table. And so you don't even think of it as an herb. But the triphala just starts to begin to clear out the colon of toxins so that then more things can be processed through the GI tract. Because if the colon is backed up, you can't pull things into the bloodstream and into the liver to process even more. You can't have a backup of the organs that process toxins and then have the ability to process even more. We introduced a really easy tea to make. I call it the prime tea. It's just made out of cumin, coriander, and fennel. I mean, come on. These are all just ingredients that many people with a, you know, mm-hmm. Indian or other Asian background, this is just what you cooked with. That's right. And so these spices do the same thing. They just start to pull out the toxins from the body. They start to ignite what we call agni or the digestive fire in the belly. And they start to move out a lot of the soluble toxins. So people often say, like, I'm peeing more, my pee kind of stinks, or my sweat kind of stinks. And I'm like, fantastic. These are all signs that this is coming. You're healing. Yes. And so in each stage like that, so in the second stage, we start to introduce some herbs that help to reverse neural adaptation, which is a critical, critical process where your brain, both the brain in your head as well as the brain in your gut, becomes actually addicted to certain foods. And so because there's a biochemical basis for this and, you know, the food scientists out there that work for many of the companies that provide us with this junk, they know about this. So they're helping to start the process. So we're just fighting the biochemistry that they have ignited that engages us with these habits. And we're just fighting it with the biochemistry of Ayurveda. And then in the third phase, we go a little bit deeper. And this is kind of the critical, critical phase where now we start to introduce things that will help to pull out the deeply rooted toxins in the organs. And there's a reason why I don't do this earlier, because you see the preparation that has to be made both physically and mentally before you get to that stage. And then the final stage, I introduce the habits. And again, At no point am I telling people to quit eating anything. I'm just giving them steps to change their biochemistry. And in the fourth stage, I just introduce new habits, still not asking them to stop eating anything that will just support now their new biochemistry. But what happens is throughout the process, you spontaneously stop craving certain foods or your, and your body will start to reject foods that are toxic to it by giving you all the signs like a headache or having a rash or, you know, having diarrhea. And then, you know, oh, I just ate something toxic. So those are signs of toxicity. Because often I get the question, how do I know I have inflammation? Or how do I know that I actually have toxins? And you're saying if if you're getting a rash, if you're getting a migraine, what are some other symptoms of toxicity and or issues in the gut? Or inflammation, more importantly? It's really if you have... Any condition, according to Ayurveda, we can link that back to a process that first begins in the gut. So what happens, Rena, is initially when you eat something that is toxic, you might have those symptoms immediately because your body is able to process those toxins immediately. But over time, those toxins begin to get stored in your organs. So you no Mm. longer have the immediate response that I ate something toxic. And so when you do the program in the prime, you begin to pull out the toxins so that there's no longer the lag. So that as soon as you put something into your body, you now know you're making the connection of, oh, hold on. I have headaches, but I notice now when I eat this, that's what's actually triggering my headaches. And so if you want to know if you have toxins, you know, there's some easy ways of looking at it. And that's the whole purpose of the gut IQ um, quiz is it's a quiz that shows you whether you have a dumb gut or a smart gut, which is really a reflection of how many toxins you have in your body. But easy ways are, you know, look at your tongue in the morning. Mm. If it's coated with a white coating, you have toxins. If you wake up in the morning 
and you have all of this congestion in your sinuses, you can't quite breathe right, you have toxins. If you get sick very often, you have toxins. But really, it's if you are not waking up easily in the morning without pain, feeling good, there's toxins somewhere in the body. And, you know, we all have times where they might go up a little bit, you know, during the change of the seasons or for women right before their menstrual cycles or if you're under stress. But if this is happening every single day, then that's a sign that your body is losing the capacity to manage those toxins. And I'm sure as we get older, it gets tougher for the body, right? So when you're young, I'm assuming the body <laughs> handles it, right? It takes whatever we're throwing at it. And as it gets older, it starts to talk back to us just like our children. Exactly, exactly. And that's the challenge because, you know, ideally you would do these things when you're young. Not that I did either. I had to wait until I got sick as well. But ideally you would do these things when you're young so that you never accumulate them. But as you age, your body does slow down and it's not able to process quite as many toxins. But the way that we are aging currently is nowhere close to how we should normally be aging I mean, I think about my great grandfather who at 104, you know, of course he looked older. I mean, he didn't look like he was 30, but he still walked um, 10 miles a day. He had no medical problems whatsoever. He was completely agile. He had no memory problems. He had, you know, almost a photographic memory. And the day that he died, he actually announced, today I'm dying, went to sleep and died. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And the thing is that we're so disappointed. We're so disconnected to the fact that this is how people used to live at one time. And so what we now consider aging, the things that are happening, you know, to people in their 20s, 30s and 40s, they used to happen to us decades later. So we have had this entire paradigm shift of what normal aging looks like, and there's nothing normal about it. So I have to move us into menopause because (laughs) a huge audience of, of my, you know, my listener base is, is over 35 and menopause, perimenopause. I mean, it used to be a few percentage of women in menopause suffered. And now the statistics are that 10 years prior to menopause, women start to experience pretty significant symptoms from weight gain to um, fatigue, anxiety is a huge one, huge one, mood disorder, lack of sleep. Where, What have you found with respect to perimenopause, menopause? How can women reverse, get rid of their symptoms? So this has actually become a passion of mine and in part just as, you know, you get older, I'm 43 now. And so it's, becoming an issue. And so I immediately started to turn my attention to it. And it's something that I'll probably write about in about two to three more years, because I think it's going to take two more, two to three more years to really master this. But this topic is so massive. And it goes back to what we're talking about, about the toxicity. First of all, as I said, there are so many chemicals that have been produced that specifically target estrogen receptors. And it's creating this phenomenon of estrogen dominance that is really just stifling women in a way that is unparalleled. I mean, we've just never seen women go through this. So there's that component of just what the environment is doing to our bodies. Another part of this whole dilemma is what happens Um, with progesterone, which is a progesterone steel phenomenon, because the amount of stress that women are under, their adrenals actually begin to use progesterone made from their ovaries and turning it into cortisol because of their high stress conditions. Mm -hmm. And so you're basically, your adrenals turn your ovaries into adrenals themselves initially, but then as your ovaries begin to age, they start taking from the adrenals. And so then most women, as they're getting into perimenopause, have complete adrenal fatigue, and then that affects their thyroid level. It throws off digestion. So the whole system gets bombarded on so many different levels, and it's why you can't just do one thing in order to go into, you know, the perimenopause or menopause um, period comfortably, there's multiple things that women have to do now 
simply because of the environment that we live in. And I, I think it's just, I think it's amazing that it's not illegal to produce chemicals that are actually altering women's bodies and they're simply allowed to be put into absolutely everything. So it's, it's not a simple fix, but it still does involve repairing the GI tract. But then in addition to doing the prime for my women who go through, um, are going through perimenopause and, and menopause uncomfortably. And, you know, I'm including my, myself in this, which shocked me because I did everything right, but I'm still living in a modern environment. Exactly. <laughs> You know, and that's kind of it becomes like your <laughs> ultimate sin is being a a citizen of the modern world. But I did start to, you know, just through my own experimentation and my own research, I started to put together a program for myself, which I would say has now reversed the symptoms by about 90 percent. And I think I'm a year or so away from figuring out how to do it 100 um, percent. But it's. It, it's you're not going to be able to live the life that you led before. I mean, it really is a paradigm shift where you say, oh, hold on. I'm living a life that's slowly poisoning me from the inside out and robbing me of my own femininity. I mean, it's it's going in and actually harming the reproductive system. And so, it, you know, it really does take this kind of dramatic look at okay so where are is all the extra estrogen coming into my life you know why do I have progesterone steel what do I need to reverse that and so it's a combination of again behavioral changes dietary changes and then certain very specific um, key supplements that help to repair the reproductive system but it's still connected to the GI tract because it's the same thing if if you Stop absorbing nutrients. There's no system in the body that's going to be safe from the effects of that. And I hear that there's new research that, in fact, it's the microbiome in the gut that even absorbs and digests and eliminates hormones. Yes, And exactly. so if your gut biome is a mess, then your hormones are going to be a mess regardless. Yes. There's, I mean, I'm not trying to sound like a broken record, but in Ayurveda... There really is nothing that you can't somehow link initially to a shift in the gut. That all disease kind of starts from there or at least spreads from there. If it didn't start from there, it will spread from there. So true. Let's fix the gut. So what is the protocol for fixing the gut for someone who clearly has dysbiosis or has all of these symptoms and says, fine, I'm going to do it. I'm going to fix my gut. And that's not the Thrifla part, right? So what what's involved in your protocol for healing our gut microbiome? Well, what it is, is the main thing is to first remove the toxins and to reignite Agni or the digestive fire. That without doing that, the other things that you do are not as effective. And so I'll have, you know, patients who will come in and they're taking their probiotics and they're, you know, eating organic, they're making everything at home, but their gut is completely unable to absorb any of that um, because of all of this inflammation and all of these toxins that are lining the, you know, the GI tract. So my approach is, it's really just what I had mentioned, this four-step program of you know, the first step, we include the trifla, the prime tea. We start working on opening up the, um, the lymphatic system that you have to start opening up the channels in your body so that the toxins can actually flow. And also in the first step, we'll introduce, um, psyllium and flax so that you're not only starting to feed the healthy bacteria, but you're also using that as a sponge to remove again the toxins that have accumulated and so that really has to be then the first step but then as I mentioned before the second step is if you don't now begin to address the disruption that has occurred between the brain in the gut the enteric nervous system and the brain in your head you cannot break 
the biology of addiction that is essentially coming from having parasitic bacteria living in your GI tract that are sending signals through the use of dopamine, the pleasure response every time you eat a Twinkie or you eat a potato chip, mm. that until you mm-hmm. begin to reverse that, you your your choices, your food choices are being dictated by parasites in your gut rather than you. So that becomes, you know, much of of the um, step two in the phase is to block that as well as beginning to actually introduce nutrients through bone broth and through some specific um, vegetable juices because you cannot detox, which is in stage three, you cannot detox until you have a nutrient-dense physiology. Detoxification requires energy. It's it's depleting. So you have to actually build your body up of nutrients before you detoxify. So it's, you know... When you look at it, it, it makes such common sense, but most people don't approach it this way. <laughs> no, we're looking for the magic pill. You know, I, I was one of those people. I just wanted someone to give me a pill that was overnight going to eliminate my symptoms. And I searched really hard for that pill and I didn't find it. So, you know, a lot of questions that we'll get in our heel circle workshops are, you know, how can I quickly treat something? So how can I get rid of my migraines quickly? Or how can I get rid of, you know, I have anxiety. How can I get rid of that? And I think here's the problem with that entire approach is if you did that, you would be deprived of the opportunity for personal evolution that is really caging you from becoming who you want to be. Because all these physical symptoms They're just mirroring that something is not in balance within yourself. And so why on earth would you want to fix something quickly physically so you can go right back to the life that was denying you happiness in the first place? I think that's such a wonderful question to ask. You know, when we fall sick and we have symptoms And we really don't want to make any fundamental changes. And I think it comes from the lifestyle that we're leading, which is not inward reflecting. It's very outward reactionary. So we are, we're on this very fast moving train. You know, the example you gave of we're all people with kids and families and parties and responsibilities and work commitments. And it's this really fast moving train and there's no time to sit and actually reflect or listen to the inside voice. And so when something falls sick or when something goes wrong, like in my case, something went fundamentally wrong, I would wake up with a face that was twice the size and look like an alien, which meant I really, really (laughs) had to pay attention because I had ignored every other symptom. It's it's a problem because now it means I got to get off my train. Exactly. And that's In not something anyone wants to do. Part of the solution. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because when I, it, it doesn't happen so much anymore because more, mostly the people who come to see me know, know that their life is going to change. I mean, they've kind of, they've either had friends or family members who've seen me and they know that something is not going to, you know, something is, is, is not going to be the same after they see me. And, but originally when I first started to do this, um, it was funny how people would hold on to their cages. Mm-hmm. You know, they were either in relationships that were clearly abusive or clearly toxic. And they were like, yes, but it's working because that relationship fits in with everything else going on in my life. So let's just not disrupt that. Exactly. So instead, could we just fix this God awful feeling that I wake up with in my stomach every morning? Could we just get like a pill for that? I was like, well, no, because it is tied to the fact that you are in a toxic relationship. Yes. And this is the beauty of Ayurveda. And this is what I meant when I was talking about Ama, that there's not a distinction in terms of the emotional or mental and physical Ama. They're all linked together. And so why would we want to take the mirror away that's showing us basically where we're ugly? I mean, that's how you make changes. And that's really the opportunity that I see in Ayurveda is 
you know, when you take it on and it's the same for other healing systems, you come out as the person you always wanted to be, but never wanted to do the work mm. to become. That's so profound because I, I agree with you. I think I say this to everyone. I am a different person. The person that existed two years ago is not the same person today. And thank God, thank God yes. <laughs> uh, for the better. <laughs> um, I feel the same way. I, when I look back at who I was, uh, you know, now 15 years ago when I first started all of this, I mean, I don't even think I really liked her, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I look back and I go, my gosh, you know, just a complete, you know, workaholic. Um, And despite having a very strong meditation practice, much of my life was measured by external accomplishment. And, you know, my prayers are that I have the same feeling 15 years from now that I look back at who I am now and say, wow, I don't even recognize that person, Absolutely. you know, and that's been the blessing of having physical challenges and, you know, seeing my body change. It just keeps forcing me to evolve. And, you know, they're not really health challenges. They're, they're health opportunities. It's so, so beautifully said. They're journeys, right? We're meant to be on a journey. Absolutely. But I think we sometimes forget this journey is internal too. We're so busy living this external journey. And then when the body speaks back to us, we, we get annoyed and we spank it and say, go away. But really we're meant to be living this journey where we're really listening and in tune to our bodies and our environment and our nature. So, so for some of those who, who were listening and excited about the spontaneous weight loss are going, Oh dear God, this sounds like a really long process. So, <laughs> So how, how long before the spontaneous weight loss occurs, given you've actually helped so many patients? What's, what's the time frame for each of these four stages? That's actually the funny thing, though. And so the stages are either anywhere from two weeks to four weeks, um, depending on your score. But I always encourage people to go as slow as possible because when you go slowly, you actually go much, much deeper into your life. And again, it's not just about the weight loss. This is, you know, people have complete transformations, um, not just in their health, but um, in their lives. But it's very interesting because even though the actual program recommends, you know, not to go any faster than two weeks for each um, stage. And um, typically, you know, I would wreck at least a month, if not even more. But the changes begin to happen much sooner than the end of the program. So even within the first week or two, people will start to notice changes. And the changes are not just in weight loss. They start noticing changes in more mental clarity, more energy. They'll, you'll go through phases where you're detoxing and things are starting to come up to the surface. So change begins to occur fairly rapidly and You know, some people just within the first couple of weeks will lose 20 to 30 pounds. For some people, it takes them the entire program. It just depends on how much weight you have to lose, how open is your physiology, and really most importantly, how willing are you to let go of the things that are no longer serving you in life? Give us an example of a typical day in the life of someone going through this program. So an example would be, so there's specific supplements that you would take. And what I typically recommend is just get like a little pill box. It's not, if you look at the total number, it's actually not that much. Mm-hmm. And so you would take certain supplements like ashwagandha and brahmi in the morning and take like trifla in the evening. Throughout the day, you would be sipping your prime tea. Mm-hmm. In the morning, mm-hmm. you would do like a lymphatic brush before um, your shower. In phase um, two, you would add maybe some bone broth, like with dinner, and make um, a specific vegetable juice, depending on your dosha. You would make a vegetable juice in the morning. And again, depending on the dosha, it would either be every day or about every other day. And then in phase three, we would introduce a couple of things, adding like some curry powder into your foods for all of the digestive benefits as well as the anti-inflammatory benefits. 
um, eating a little bit of ginger before your meals. So when you look at like total time put in, it's not a massive amount of, of time and it's not like you can't live your normal life. It's just that each one of the things that you are implementing profoundly changes your biochemistry. Mm. That sounds very doable. I have to admit. Are you a supporter of probiotics? So what I write about in the book is it's not that I'm against probiotics. It's just if you take probiotics before your gut is primed for it, you know, the analogy I always use is like sending in Girl Scouts into World War II. What are they going to do? You know, you don't have a place for them to even live. So first clean up the combat zone Mm. and then bring the probiotics in. And, you know, people sort of forget that probiotics come in other forms than just a pill that you can make your own probiotics. No way. Is that right? (laughs) (laughs) You know, these are actually bacteria that live on you, live in you, live on food, live in food that they can become just part of your food. And I have, you know, some recommendations in the form of like Lussi or, for people who don't do dairy, dairy, there's, um, you know, coconut milk, kefir. there's so many other forms of probiotics. So it's not that they don't have a role. It's just that their role is dependent in part on how smart your gut is. That I think that's one of the biggest mistakes I made and a lot of others make. We start popping probiotics because you read enough and it says, hey, if you've got a gut dysbiosis, you need more probiotics. And you're so right. Just popping those pills is not the answer. Um, there's no answer in a pill. Unfortunately, we all got to do it the right way, the hard way for all our listeners out there that are really struggling with weight and are eating salads. What is the one recommendation that you have for them starting today? What what is the one thing they can do? Mm. Well, the one mental thing you can do is first of all, drop all the guilt, drop all the shame, drop all the judgment because it's not willpower, it's biochemistry, and it's just understanding the tools that are necessary to fight this battle in a fair way. Um, But the one thing I would do kind of uh, physically is I would just start drinking the prime tea. I mean, people have had just such phenomenal results just for making that tea, and it's just half a teaspoon. You can start with half a teaspoon of cumin seeds, coriander seeds, and fennel seeds, Boil it in about four cups of water for about 10 minutes, strain it, put it in a thermos, and just sip it all throughout the day. Love it. That's doable. You you guys can order that online. You can order the organic um, coriander, cumin, and fennel online. So for those who don't carry Indian spices at home, it's easy to access. What a, what a brilliant piece of advice there. Dr. Gulri, thank you so much for being on our show today. It was my pleasure, Rina. Thank you so much for doing this. That's a wrap. Share your love with a five-star review and get show notes at healthbootcamps.com. Connect with us on Health Bootcamps Facebook and Twitter. Also, don't forget to check out other great interviews and subscribe to the Get Healthier podcast today.